If you have your copy of God's Word, let's turn together to Psalm 119 again. Psalm 119, our text this evening begins at verse 81 and extends to verse 96. And one of the things I hope you've noticed as we've worked our way now over several weeks in Psalm 119 is even though we're going two stanzas at a time, it's, it's been kind of interesting, hasn't it, how the the two stanzas have hung together uh, each week as the different preachers have, for their homily, taken the sections. Uh, The sections have hung together. The themes have interwoven. At some level, you'd expect that because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But but still, it's notable, and it's notable as we come to to these two stanzas, uh, the stanza that has the hitting of of Kof and Lamed, uh, these middle sections. In fact, these two stanzas stand at the very center of Psalm 119. A uh, number of times in Scripture where you have various literary structures, uh, oftentimes it's the center that, to which our attention is to be drawn. Lamentations 3, for example, is a, is a great example of that. 66 verses, but the very center of Lamentations chapter 3 is, is the, are the verses that we know as great is thy faithfulness. You know, your morning mercies are new each day. So it is here in Psalm 119, 176 verses, but here in these two stanzas, verses 81 to 96, uh, our attention is to be drawn. This is what the psalmist is driving at as he, as he urges us to love God's words and to seek God through his words. So with that in mind, what does the psalmist want us to see? What does he want us to pray? How does he want us to respond? In order to hear what God has for us tonight, then, we need to ask the Holy Spirit for his help. So let's pray together. Almighty God, we do come as your people, and we desire to hear the word of the Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come. And in the reading and preaching of Holy Scripture, we pray that we would hear your word, that you would speak to us, and you would form us and cause us to cry out to you, I am yours. Save me. Grant us this grace, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 119, then, beginning in verse 81. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me. 
for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have a professional interest in saying this. Most films about figures in church history are generally very poor. Uh, I say that I have professional interests because as someone who teaches church history in seminaries, I, I try to find films where I can show film clips of different historical figures to at least help my students envision the scenes that we're talking about and, and the theologians or the historical figures that I'm, I'm lecturing about. But, but most of them are, are actually pretty cheesy. Uh, the most cheesy of them was one uh, about John Wycliffe, uh, where his beard starts coming off halfway through the film. Um, not, not, not high production value. Uh, but one film of a church historical figure that I really do recommend uh, for its accuracy and for its acting is the film Luther, starring Joseph Fiennes as Martin Luther himself. I'd encourage you to watch it. It is excellent. One of the high points of the movie uh, is the, the scene and the conflict at the Diet of Worms in 1521. Luther has just been confronted by the papal legate, demanding that, that Luther recant of, of his various writings or face the consequences, namely death. Luther asks if he might have time to consider his options, and the legate gives him 24 hours to consider his response. The next scene shows him in his cell, wrestling with the devil. It's a powerful depiction of what Luther talks about a lot. His, his, the German word is his affentung, which is a German word that broadly means his, his suffering as, as he was tried by the devil and driven into the arms of Christ. And after verbally jousting with the enemy's attacks, the scene there in his cell ends with Luther prostrate on the ground in the form of a cross, praying, I am yours, save me. I am yours, save me. Luther was taught to use that prayer in times of darkness and trial by his father confessor, Johann von Stoppitz. But of course, Stoppitz himself got that prayer, that, that short arrow prayer from our passage this evening. It's right there in your Bible in verse 94. We read it. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. That, that prayer, I am yours, save me, it's fitting not only for times of trial and suffering, it's also fitting uh, as we try to make sense of these two stanzas that stand at the center of this a to Z approach to understanding God's word and God's words. Remember, Psalm 119 is an acrostic psalm, which means that each of the stanzas, uh, the, each line of each stanza begins with a particular Hebrew letter. It was a, a, a literary device to say that this is the A to Z approach to this given issue. And, and in this instance, uh, the psalm is an A to Z approach concerning how we might seek God through his word. And so, I am yours, saves, save me, isn't just the center 
of these two stanzas, but as I've already suggested to you, it's really the center of the whole psalm. The, the central theme of what God's word and God's words are meant to, to call us to do, to cry out to God, I am yours. I am yours. Save me. You see, the psalmist is using God's word during spiritual affliction, during suffering and trial. God's words are the words that he wants to use as he gives voice to his deepest longings and as he gives voice to his strongest affirmation. And so in that regard, we might learn tonight, might we? We might learn how to, to give voice to our deepest longings, to give voice to our strongest affirmation as we learn to take God's words and pursue God's word, to use these words to seek God and to seek the word of God, Jesus himself, as we use scripture to, to express our, our deep longings. You actually heard the, the psalmist in the first two verses of the, the, the passage we read together express some of his, of his deep longings. Look again at verse 81. He says, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? The, the Hebrew here actually suggests that the, the psalmist is longing because he's nearly finished off by what he's been facing. The spiritual struggle, the opposition, the trials, the darkness. It, it's all served to stir up his longings in such a way that he feels stretched and stressed. He feels stretched, he tells you, like a wineskin in the smoke. You see that in verse 83. He says, For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. It's an evocative image, isn't it? Apparently, in ancient Israel, there weren't closets or attics in houses. And so, what do you do for storage? Well, in order to store various things that they might need later, they would store them in the, in the roof, in the, in the upper thatching of their houses, in the cross beams that make up the roof of the house. And so perhaps this wineskin has been hung from the cross beams by its cords, and it's been placed down too low, or perhaps it's been placed along the crossbeam near the, the fire where the cooking was being done. And the heat and the smoke has caused the wineskin to, to dry out, to stretch, to crack. That's how the psalmist feels. He feels stretched out, dry, ready to crack. There's a similar line early on in The Lord of the Rings. You might remember it when Bilbo, uh, the great hero of the previous book, The Hobbit, when he tells Gandalf, I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter scraped over too much bread. That, that captures how the psalmist feels. Like a wineskin that's being stretched and cracked, like butter spread over too much bread. Perhaps that's how you feel. You feel jostled by the devil. You feel undone by life's circumstances. You feel stretched beyond what you can endure. If you were to, 
to unburden yourself to, to someone, you would be afraid that you couldn't stop unburdening because of all that you've been carrying. And so there's, there's not much point in starting, is there? Because you don't want to just blah on somebody. You feel so stretched, almost cracking because of the, the pressure you're under. Listen, you're not alone. God's word gives you words to express how you feel. That when you feel stretched like a dried out wineskin or like butter scraped over too much bread, we don't forget God's statutes, but we rather use them to express the deep longings of our hearts. It's good to use these words to tell God that we feel stretched because we're stressed. If you look at the next verses, you see language that expresses uh, the stress and pressure the psalmist feels. Verse 84, how long must I endure? Verse 84 again, when will you judge those who persecute me? Verse 85, the insolent have dug pitfalls for me. Verse 86, they persecute me uh, with falsehood. Help me. Verse 87, they have almost made an end of me. What do you do when you feel this way? Stressed beyond measure, beyond endurance, beyond the end? What do you do when the darkness threatens to undo you, to overwhelm you? Well, do what the psalmist has done. Use God's words to express your deep longings to God. Tell him you are stretched and stressed. Ask him to save you, to help you. Challenge him on how much longer this goes on. How long must I endure? When will you judge those who are doing this to me? Help me, save me. God's word is inviting you to do just this. And as you express your deep longings, God's word and words will not just point you to how to express the deep longings of your heart, but also how to grasp hold of strong affirmations. After all, Luther's prayer following verse 94 uh, begins with a strong affirmation, doesn't it? I am yours. And in response to this, he expresses the desires of his heart. God, save me. But the rest of this section that we've read together, it gives us a, a series of strong affirmations that served as fixed points for our hearts and our final hopes. You know what fixed points are. Perhaps the most important fixed point in our entire world is the North Star uh, ancient mariners throughout the, the, the millennia have oriented themselves to that north star. And that north star that serves as a fixed point for those who are serving maritime uh, areas also serves as a kind of metaphor for those who are, are fixed, who aren't going anywhere. In my last church, First Pres Heisberg, I had the opportunity to get to know a, a wonderful couple, uh, Milam and Betty Cotton. Um, I got to know Milam in part because he was dying of cancer. Uh, and they had been away to, to, to Jackson for many years and had come back to Hattiesburg so that he could die. And as I got to know Milam uh, and Betty, 
uh, one of the things that was uh, they're saying to each other was that they wanted to be as true as the North Star. True as the North Star. T-A-T-N-S. Tantus. That, that, that abbreviation was so important to them uh, that Milan actually had this huge boulder in their front yard smoothed out and etched in that boulder was T-A-T-N-S. So that every time they would come into the house or leave the house, they would see it. That their love for one another was to be as fixed, as true as the North Star. Why was that so important? It was because this was a fixed point. Their love, just like the North Star. But God's word here does something better. It tells you about your God and his love for you that serve as fixed points so that you might have this strong affirmation that you belong to God. There, there are three fixed points in this psalm, three north stars, if you will, that you might look to and always orient to. And the first is, is God's steadfast love. Uh, you see that in verse 88. In your steadfast love, give me life, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Seminary preaching professors like me will, will tell seminary um, students and, and new preachers, don't load up your sermons with lots of, of Greek and Hebrew. People don't care. Having said that, there are a few words in the original language that you need to know because they strengthen your faith. And one of those, those words is the Hebrew word chesed. And it shows up right here in verse 88. In your chesed, give me life. You see, chesed is, is God's steadfast, covenantal, always and forever kind of love. His steadfast love for you is a fixed point. It's the north star. When the darkness threatens to undo us, when we're stressed beyond measure and we feel that we can't go on, when we feel like we're being stretched apart, like a rubber band threatening to unravel us, God's steadfast love is a fixed point we can return to. We can say, when everything else is falling apart around us, this I know, God loves me. But there's a second fixed point. Not just God's steadfast love, but but God's faithful care of, of his and our world. Look at verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. You see, the psalmist says that God's word is fixed in the heavens where God's throne is. God's throne is in the heavens and he rules over the earth and God's throne is sure, so God's word is sure. But not only is God's throne in the heavens, God's sun, God's moon, the earth as it rotates in the sky, they all continue so that whatever may happen in our own personal worlds and whatever may happen in our local or national context and whatever may happen globally, here is a fixed point. Our world belongs to God. And he continues to care for it. That's what the psalmist says. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. How do we know? You've established the earth. You keep it. 
You hold it fast. In you, it consists. I was having lunch with someone this week, and and we were talking about uh, climate care and uh, all the kinds of issues that surround environmental issues. Uh, And one of the things I I said uh, as someone who does care about these issues, um, I don't think man can burn the world up. I know that I know that God will, because 2 Peter 3 says he will. And because we know that God is the one in charge of his world, though we ought to care for God's world, we can trust that he will preserve his world, and that even foolish human beings can't muck it up too much. To me, that's a comfort to know that God is faithful in caring for his and our world. He's the one who's in charge not just of our planet, but of our daily lives. But there's the one last fixed point here. God's steadfast love, God's faithful care of his and our world, but but also God's life-giving word. Look at verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. When we're afraid... When we experience suffering, where do we go? Well, certainly we cry out to God in prayer, but we we should use God's word to do so. And when we delight in God's word, what happens? We will not die, but live. I mean, hasn't that happened to you? When God's word leapt off the page and renewed your hope in some moment of crisis? Or when the preacher said something that was exactly the right word, the word of the Lord, and it gave you strength to continue on over the next week. What is that but proof that God's not abandoned you? Indeed, all three of these things are fixed points for us. All three of these things show us that we belong to God. God's steadfast love his faithful care for us, God's life-giving word where he sustains our life through his word, they ultimately point us to our final hope. Our, Our final hope, which is ultimately in a world that disappoints us, where everything ultimately in the end disappoints us and exhausts its ability to help us. There's only one person who never fails. That's what the psalmist is driving at in the very last verse. Do you see it? I have seen a limit to all perfection. I've seen a limit to all perfection. Everyone, parents, spouses, friends, work, recreation, play, uh, uh, financial endeavors, other work endeavors, even Bible study, service in the church, name it. At the end of the day, all of our human endeavors will come to the end of their ability to help us or to sustain us. The psalmist is saying, I've seen a limit to all perfection, but there's only one person who never fails. And that's our God. The God who's come to us in Jesus Christ. And as we go through calamity... It makes sense to run to this God and to cry out to him and to pray, I am yours, save me, because he can and he will. Right after Sarah was diagnosed last August, beginning of September, I struggled with panic attacks 
Um, there were several days where it was very, very difficult to get moving again, to get out of bed uh, because of the fear and the stress that, that overwhelmed me uh, and all the voices in the head of what's going to happen, how do you handle this, what's going to happen to the kids and all the rest. There were two things ultimately that, that helped move me forward again. The first was the voice of my, my wife in my head telling me, Sean, get up and do the next thing. Okay, what's the next thing? Get up and take a shower. Okay, I'll go take a shower. What's the next thing after that? Go ahead and put your clothes on and so forth. Getting to do the next thing. But the other thing that helped me was this little book. Um, and I have copies of this. I'm happy to, if, a few copies at least, I can give you. Uh, the book Christ in Calamity by a Lutheran pastor named Harold Sinkville. Um, it's a very simple book that talks about the various calamities that we face in life and how Christ is for us in the midst of each of those trials. But at the very beginning of the book, Sinkville has this prayer that I've prayed countless times over this past year, a prayer that ultimately is rooted in, in Holy Scripture. The prayer goes like this. Lord, you know the deep places through which our lives must go. Help us when we enter them to lift our hearts to you. Help us to be patient when we are afflicted, to be humbled when we are in distress, and grant that the hope of your mercy may never fail us, and the consciousness of your loving kindness may never be clouded or hidden from our eyes. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Of course, you don't need a, this book or even that prayer when you come into calamity. You already have what you need right here in this psalm. These words that express the deep longings of your heart, but also the strong affirmations. And they can all be summed up in just those five words that you might make a prayer even tonight. I'm yours. Save me. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we do ask, in the midst of our trial and difficulty, when so many of us feel as though we are stretched beyond measure, and we are threatening to fall apart, Lord, we ask that you would hear us as we pray those words. I am yours. Lord, save me. Rescue me. Deliver me. Because, Lord, your love is our fixed point. Your faithful care is what we trust in. The fact your word gives us life, it's what we cling to. So, Lord, please rescue us, and we will be sure to give you all the praise and honor and glory, for you are a great and glorious God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.